Hello, this is David Keogh, and I'd like to welcome you to TNBS, the Thursday Night Bible Study. This study was held on December 2nd, 2010. Tonight we're going to be looking at the Old Testament book written by the prophet Obadiah, a book that many people have never studied before, including myself. So thank you for being with us tonight. This is TNBS, Volume 2, Session 31. Tonight we're going to be looking at Obadiah. And to be quite honest with you, I have never studied the book of Obadiah. I have read the book of Obadiah, once at least, because I have read through the Bible. But I have never actually studied the book of Obadiah, and I did not have a clue who Obadiah was, other than being a, one of the minor prophets of God. And actually, that's still probably all I know about Obadiah, <laughs> to be honest with you. It is an interesting prophecy that he's writing about here. Obadiah, uh, as it says in uh, verse 1, the vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Now, Edom was a country just south of Judah. In fact, they share the border, the northern border of either and the southern border of Judah. So, and this is who, who Obadiah is writing to or who he's prophesying against or prophesying about of the Edomites who lived in Edom. Now, the Edomites were descendants of Esau. So, if you remember the, the story with Isaac and Jacob and Esau, Esau born first, Jacob coming out holding on to his heel, and then Jacob stealing Esau's birthright and stealing Esau's blessing from his father Isaac. And the conflict that that caused between Esau and Jacob, well, initially Esau went and married Canaanite women, and I say women because they had more than one wife, and it finally got to the point where he and Jacob could not coexist, apparently, in the same area they were. So Esau basically packed up and moved south and moved down and formed the nation of Edom. So Edomites were descendants of Isaac, Abraham and Isaac. Could trace their lineage all the way back to Father Abraham in that sense. But they did not like Judah. There was always this animosity between the Edomites and Judah, Edom and Judah. In fact, quite often, if you, as you read through the Scripture, and they spread all throughout the Old Testament, the, the, the Edomites keep popping up in various places. As you find out, they oftentimes fought against Judah and even helped the enemies of Judah when the enemies were fighting against Judah. Saul fought against uh, Edom, David fought against Edom, Solomon fought against Edom, as is mentioned all throughout the Old Testament. There, there are a lot of places where it talks about fighting against the Edomites. So that's who the Edomites were. They were constantly in, in, in conflict with Judah. And I think it kind of probably all goes back to, to the days of Jacob and Esau, you know, in the conflict they had. And maybe it was a, a grudge that they had against the Judah or whatever. The capital city of Edom was Selah, S-E-L-A, which later became Petra. If you remember the ancient city of Petra, that was in the country of Edom. And the Edomites, they, they had this great feeling of security, uh, self-sufficiency, and actual arrogance because of the great defensive position they had in Petra and all throughout their country. It was a very mountainous country down south of, south of Judah. And Petra was considered to be an impenetrable fortress back in those days. In fact, it still is today. However, no one lives there now. Now it's just a tourist destination. In fact, it's probably one of the major tourist destinations in the country of Jordan, which is where modern-day Edom is, and Petra. Uh, it was a tremendously fortified city because of the way it was built. It was built, built in, actually into the cliffs, 
uh, in the valley that down between, running down through south of Judah. And since they had such fortified cities, they thought they did have a, a kind of an arrogant attitude toward everyone that they were unbeatable in that sense and very, very self-sufficient. Now, the prophecy was written somewhere <laughs> between 843 and 841 B.C. or 586 B.C. And apparently they, they can't really date the book of Obadiah, his prophecy. If it was written between uh, 853 and 841, then he was probably dealing with the, the conquering Philistines and Arab coalition that came against Jerusalem in that time frame, around 853 to 841 B.C. And that's where he's predicting the destruction of Edom. If, he's, if it's written around 856 B.C., then he's talking about the Babylonian conquering Jerusalem and Judah. So apparently there, there, it's hard to finally nail down exactly when Obadiah wrote this particular prophecy. Now, although Edom and Judah both traced their heritage all the way back to the same source, which was Isaac, and then from there to, to Abraham, God pronounced judgment on Edom for its callous and malicious actions toward his people. Remember, Judah was the chosen people of God, not Edom. Okay? Because it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is where the line of, of the chosen people of God came through, not Esau. So I guess the conflict with Edom, the Edomites and, the, and the, the Judahites were very similar to what you have between the, the Arabs and the Jews coming down through, uh, one through Isaac and one through Ishmael. So, anyway. Now, to give an idea of exactly how the Edomites felt toward the Judah and the, the Jewish nation, let's flip back to Numbers. The 20th chapter of Numbers. Now, this is Moses uh, leading the people through the wilderness. 2014, in fact, this is just after Moses has struck the rock at the Meribah when he was supposed to speak to it and resulted in him not being able to go into the promised land because of that act of disobedience. But reading in verse 14, From Kadesh, Moses then sent messages to the king of Edom. Thus your brother Israel, which is true, they were, going all the way back to Isaac, they were brothers, Thus your brother Israel has said, You know all the hardships that has befallen us, that our fathers went down to Egypt, and we stayed in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians treated us and our fathers badly. Verse 18, uh, 16. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us up from out of Egypt. And behold, we are at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We shall not pass through field or through vineyard. We shall not even drink water from a well. We shall go along the king's highway, not turning to the right or left until we pass through your territory. Basically, Moses was saying, you know, we want to get on to the other side, and the quickest way is right through your country, up, up what is called the king's highway, which was a major trade route, north-south trade route, north-south trade route between Egypt and the northern countries. And Moses was saying, listen, all we want to do is walk through. Okay, we're not going to trample the fields. We're going to stay on the road. We won't cut across country. We won't even drink water out of your wells. We won't be any bother whatsoever. We just want to walk through. Verse 18, Edom, however, said to him, You shall not pass through us, lest I come out with a sword against you. Again, the sons of Israel said to him, We shall go up by the highway, and if I and my livestock do drink any of your water, then I will pay its price. Let me only pass through on my feet, nothing else. But Edom responded to verse 20. 
But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against him with a heavy force and with a strong hand. Verse 21, Thus Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. So that gives you an idea of the feelings that, that the animosity that existed between Edom and the God's chosen race, the, the Jews. So even after knowing all that they'd gone through, they still would not even let them just even pass through the country. They just refused, refused to allow them passage. So that's, that gives you a background as to the situation in Edom when Obadiah is writing this letter from Judah. Okay. Verse 1 and 2. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise and let us go against her for a battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. Now remember, Obadiah is speaking for God. Okay. About Edom. He's speaking for God about Edom. When he says, this is a, the oracle concerning Edom, says, you are greatly despised. Uh, God's judgment was against Edom's continuing hostility against his people. The theme of Obadiah, there are two themes, basically, of the book of Obadiah. That's justice and pride. And we'll see that as we go through here. Those are the two themes, kind of, this book. And the key verse is the 15th verse, which we'll get to in a minute. In fact, God did indeed make Edom a small nation, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about when he gets on down to like verse 17. Verse 3 through 7. The arrogance of your heart, okay, is where the pride comes in, okay? That's one of the major themes of, of Obadiah. Verse 3. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You walk in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, for there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined. Would they not steal only until they had enough? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleaning? Oh, how Esau will be ransacked and his hidden treasures searched out. All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border, and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. Though they who eat your bread will set an ambush for you, there is no understanding in him in Edom. So, this is what Obadiah is saying to the, to the people of Edom. He says, the, the Edomites felt totally protected and, and impenetrable because of their mountainous land and because of the Petra, their, their chief city being so well fortified. In fact, like I said, even still today, it's, it's, declared, it's considered to be one of the greatest fortified cities there is. In fact, it was, I think it was one of the new seven wonders of the world, was Petra. Uh, the facade of the main building that, that, that still stands in Petra has been in a lot of movies. Uh, the one that kind of sticks in my mind is um, uh, not the Raiders of the Lost Ark, but In Search of the Holy Grail. You remember that one and, and that trilogy? But Indiana Jones, Search of the Holy Grail. You know, I don't know if you remember that or not, but it, there's one scene to where, that's the scene where his father's introduced into the movie, if you remember that scene. And his father's played by Total Blank. John Connery, that's right. And he and his father, he and his father are riding on, riding on horses down through the desert, and they come to this marvelous looking temple like facade built right into the side of a cliff. Well, that was Petra. Uh, it still is Petra today, actually. Uh, that, that was the scene taken, uh, filmed at Petra. And to actually approach the city, you have to go down through a very narrow passageway. It's like a, a, a cleft that's cut out in the rock that it varies from about, I think, from six feet in some places to the widest point is like 13 feet. 
and it's kind of downhill, and you have to walk through this in order to get to the city of Petra. Very, very easily fort- uh, guarded and highly fortified. And so the Edomites had this, this sense of, of indestructibility, of, of this arrogance they had, and which, he, which um, Obadiah points out in those verses. So they felt like they were, they were impenetrable. They were very proud. If you look at verse uh, 3 and 4, the arrogance of your heart has deceived you, says Obadiah, or says God through Obadiah. They were very wealthy and self-sufficient. In fact, basically, they didn't need God. Nor did they fear God, because they could take care of themselves. They weren't a very large nation. didn't matter. They were self-sufficient and could take care of themselves. But God was above them in power and resources. The Edomites were no match for the justice of God. Like he says, your arrogance has deceived you. you know, it's, it's led you to think that you're indestructible, and it led you to think that you're beyond the reach of God. When he says uh, in verse 3, In the loftiness of your dwelling place, who shall say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? You know, who will conquer me? Who? Nobody can touch us. No nation can touch No person can touch us. And he goes on to say, As though you build high like the eagle, you set your, your nest among the stars. From there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. You are not beyond me. So, reading on, verse 8. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from his mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Teman, in order that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. The Edomites, and particularly in the in area of Petra, the area around there, were known for having wise men, I mean, intelligent folks. Um, they were known to have uh, smart people there. And that's what he's talking about there. He said, Will not declare the Lord destroy the wise men from Edom. Now, as a side note, which I'm sure y'all will remember quite well, do you remember the name Eliphaz? One of Job's three friends, right. Eliphaz, or Eliphaz was one of Job's three friends. And if you go back into Job and read, you will find out that Eliphaz was from Teman, which we read there in verse 9. Teman was actually a city only about five miles from Petra. And if you go back and read in Job, I think you'll also find that Eliphaz, you know, these, these three friends of Job were supposed to have great wisdom. You know, they were, they were supposed to be smart guys. And so there again, it goes back to, when we read here in verse, in verse 9, it says, Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Teman, in order that everyone may be cut off from the mountains of Esau by slaughter. He said, Sure, you may have wise men in man's eyes. You may have men that are wise in man's knowledge, but that is no match for God's wisdom. It really isn't. Their arrogance was going to be their downfall. Their arrogance was going to be their downfall. Uh, reading on, verse 10. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, which was Judah, okay? And remember, the Edomites traces their heritage back to Esau, who was the brother of Jacob. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, there's that arrogance and pride again. On the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. See, the Edomites would support the enemies of Judah. As, as foreign nations battling Judah, they, they could count on support from Edom in the, in the sense of of, of provisions as they went through the country to attack Judah from the south. 
Verse 12, Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster, and do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. And do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives, and do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. These were all things which historically Edom had done in reference to Judah. So Obadiah is warning the Edomites not to take part in, this, in, in the battle against Judah nor should they take part in the spoils. When he says there, uh, do not stand aloof from the day the strangers carried off its wealth and, far, and foreigners entered its gate and cast lots for you, you were there one of them. He says, and you know, he says, warning them against that. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of disaster, yet do not gloat over their calamity in the day of the disaster, and do not loot their wealth. So he's warning them against the things that they have already been doing historically. So basically he's setting up the reason for God's judgment against Edom because of all these actions which they have done. He says, these things you should not have been done. He said, this is shameful. This has been, this was your shame, as he says in verse 10. You will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever because of your animosity toward your brother, Jacob, or toward my chosen people of Judah. And of course, there's that brother Esau relationship again, the two descendants. Okay? And this was why God was judging them. Because they were constantly battling against his people, the Judeite. Judeites? Is that the right word? I don't know. Those from Judah, Israel, the Jewish people. <laughs> but essentially, when the Edomite would be, they wouldn't be blood Jews. They would be partial Jews. Because Esau did take Canaanite wives. So they would not be pure blood Jews in the sense of the nation of Judah. Okay, verse 15. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return to your own head. Because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually, and they will drink and swallow, and become as if they had never existed. The judgment was coming on the people of Edom. This is basically what Obadiah is saying here. The judgment was coming on his people because of the way that they had treated God's people the way they had mistreated God's people, which were their kinsmen by blood. But they had mistreated them. Basically, it goes back to the thing of, in the end, God wins, you know? We've talked about the pride of the Edomites and their arrogance and their self-sufficiency and their pride of their wisdom. But God says, it ain't greater than me. And I have not approved of what, the way you have been treating my people. Who are your kinsmen in that sense? He says, and, that, and so therefore, judgment will come, which he's fixing to describe. Obadiah is fixing to describe that judgment that's coming. I have not liked the way that you gloat over the distress of Judah. Maybe you didn't attack them. Maybe you didn't even help the armies that were attacking them. But you sat there and laughed at them. You, you, were, you gloated over the fact that they were being punished, or you gloated over the fact that they were being attacked or, or enslaved or whatever. So these are the things, the reasons that, that God is going to judge uh, Edom. And that's, that's what we read in verse 17. But on Mount Zion there will be those who escape, and it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. Then the house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be a stubble. 
and keep track of all the names here, and you can tell which country he's talking about. But on Mount Zion, that's Jerusalem, on Mount Zion, verse 17, there will be those who escape, and it will be holy. And the house of Jacob, that's Judah, will, be, will possess their possessions, there being Edom. Then the house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. Jacob and Joseph, same, Judah. But the house of Esau will be a stubble, and they will set them on fire and consume them. They being Jacob and Joseph's house will set them being the house of Esau on fire. See the illustration he's using here with with uh, Jacob and Joseph as being the fire and the flame and Esau being the Esau and Edom is being the stubble. So there will be no survivor of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Then those of the Negev, which is the southern region, will possess the mountains of Esau. And those of the Shephelah, which was the foothills, the Philistine plain. Also they will possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria. And Benjamin will possess Gilead. And the exiles of the house of, this, of the sons of Israel who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sheparad will possess the cities of the Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Now, this is the destruction that he's talking about. And actually, that's exactly what happened. When he says in verse, um, verse 2, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. Then you read over in... Verse 17, but then on Mount Zion there will be those who escape. And in verse 15, the dealings will return to your head just because, and for the day of the Lord draws near among, among all the nations, as you have done, it will be done to you. Basically, in 164 BC, the Edomites were taken over by Judas Maccabeus. And by the first century, there was no trace of the nation of Edom at all. They were totally wiped out. So, the prophecy of Obadiah came quite true. In 164 B.C., the Edomites were destroyed by Judas Maccabeus. M-A-C-C-A-B-E-U-S. And by the first century, the nation no longer existed. God's judgment was complete. Edom vanished. But look at verse 17. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape. So, God's judgment was complete. But on verse 17, but on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape. Edom no longer exists. Judah continued to exist. So, do you know when the book was written? The book was written, like I said uh, earlier, Jeff, it was thought to be written in either 853 to 841 B.C. or possibly it was written as late as uh, 586 B.C. And that's a 300 year difference. And you would certainly think they could narrow it down better than that. I would have thought they could have. 
they believed the book of Obadiah was written while Jerusalem, while Judah was, was being besieged by somebody. You know, they think that was the, the, the background for him writing this book. And so they think it was either in 853 to 841 B.C. when the, um, let me get the country right there. And I think it was the, yeah, when the Philistines and the Arabs joined a coalition to attack Judah. So they think that might have been when he wrote it. Or it could have been in uh, 546 B.C. when uh, King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylonia. 586 B.C. when, when, ba- when Babylon came up and took over the country of Judah. So they think it's one of those two. So, okay, so in 146 B.C. is when the country was finally totally wiped out or taken over by Judas Maccabeus. So you're talking about, what, 400 years? But the point is, God's judgment did occur. It did come. It was complete. And when he says, I'll make you small among the nations, and in verse 16, Behold, just as you drank on my holy mountains, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. And that is exactly what has happened to the the nation of Edom. They became as if they had never existed. Totally wiped out. But Judah, God's chosen people, continue to exist even until today. So, what can we learn from Obadiah? Four points, I think, that Obadiah makes. First of all, evil will be punished. Evil will be punished. The second point is those faithful to God have a hope of a future. It didn't look like it. If you look at what was going on between Judah and Edom at that point, it was Judah who you would have predicted to be wiped out totally, not Edom. Edom was in a much better defensible position. Edom was in a much better, they had, they had greater wealth, they had greater um, resources, they were, had greater alliances. Uh, they, to my knowledge, didn't have any real enemies because they played both ends against the middle, but they, they didn't have any real enemies. But Judah was constantly being besieged by somebody. So you would have guessed Judah was the one who was going to be wiped out, but that's not the way it was. The, those faithful to God do have a hope. Third, God is sovereign in history. And we talked about that when last, you know, last time we were in Romans. God's sovereignty. He is sovereign in history. And fourth, God's ultimate plan is to establish His eternal kingdom. Because Judah still survives today. And all that it's gone through, it still survives today. The Edomites were judged. And they were judged for their pride for their arrogance, for their self-sufficiency in money and wisdom and defense, and in their gloating over the troubles of others. So if we're going to learn anything, let's look at the why Edom was judged and look at our own lives. They were judged for pride. That is something I have a struggle with, and I've always had a struggle with. I don't know if that's a man thing or whether it's just me. They were judged for their arrogance, for their, their feeling of being better than others, for their feeling of, of being so prideful that they didn't need God. They were judged for their feelings of self-sufficiency. They had wealth, they had wisdom, 
They had a, a very defensible city. Uh, they had no real enemies. They had no worries. They didn't need God because they could take care of themselves. And they were judged for gloating over the troubles of others. And I don't know whether that stepped on any of y'all's toes or not. I know sometimes that that's a temptation we have. Particularly if the people that are being troubled are those that we don't particularly care for anyway. So I think we can, we can learn from this little book uh, written centuries ago. But I think there's some good lessons for us there. Because just as God did not like nor stand for the pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency of the Edomites. He doesn't like or will he stand for that in our own lives as well. Turn to the book of Revelations. Last chapter of Revelations. 20th, 22nd chapter, excuse me. And although this was written by John, his vision from God, hundreds of years later after Obadiah. Look at the 7th verse. Christ speaking. But behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I think that could be applied to Obadiah as well. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of Obadiah. Look at that in verse 10 through 12. And he, this is an angel now talking to John. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. Let the one who is holy keep himself holy. Christ speaking. Verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. You know, I think sometimes we forget, and it's easy to forget, when we look around us and see all the things that are going on in the world around us, all of the, the evil and the badness and the bad things, and yet those people quite often that are doing those types of ungodly things seem to be the ones that are the happiest and prospering the most. But I think we need to remember, just as Judah could look down at Edom and see a very self-sufficient great country, Edom was not in a right relationship with God. Judah was. Edom did not have the promises of God. Judah did. So we look in the world around us and we see evil prosper. And we think, what's up with this? But remember, those that are doing the ungodly things do not have the relationship with God that we have. Those doing all of these ungodly things do not have the promises which we have in God. And God's sovereignty in history is absolute. And as Revelation shows us, in the end, God's going to win. There will come a time when God will basically have had enough with the evilness and the sinfulness and the wrongness that is in His creation. And He will end it. He will end it. And those that are not in a right relationship with Him, those that do not have the Jesus Christ standing on the right hand of the Father in our defense at the judgment day, they will be judged. They will be judged. So, on the grand scheme of things, we have to think beyond today. And we have to think beyond the immediate. 
Edom looked like they were doing great. But God said, no. I am disappointed and I dislike what you're doing. You have mistreated my people. You will pay. What goes around comes around. What is the verse in Galatians? I can get to it. Yeah, Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. So, it may look like ungodliness and evil is winning. But trust me. Trust God. It's only temporary. It's only temporary. Father God, thank you. Thank you, Father, that we have the words of Obadiah. Your words through him. For indeed, Father, you are righteous and you are just. Regardless of what the world says, regardless of the way the world acts, you are just and right. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us when we fall victim to the the sins of the Edomites. Forgive us when our pride, when arrogance, when self-sufficiency, those thoughts that we don't need you, those thoughts of we can do it ourselves, crop up in our lives. Forgive us, Father, when we get so consumed with doing what we want and accomplishing our goals and gathering what we desire that we forget or ignore you. For indeed, Father, if it wasn't for you, we would have no hope of a tomorrow. So help us, Father, to heed the prophecy of Obadiah and to learn from your judgment upon the Edomites and to trust the God of our salvation. For this is my prayer, in and through the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, my Savior, and my Lord, and my very bestest friend. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us tonight, and I hope you have enjoyed our little quick study of Obadiah. As always, if you have any questions or comments about tonight's study or any of these podcasts, send me an email. My address is davidlkeel at gmail.com. So until next time, I pray that we will, in our daily lives, avoid the sins of Edom and walk in a manner that is worthy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God bless you.